All right. Okay, this side's going to have to work on their attendance skill. <laughs> we're, getting, we're going to tilt the building one direction. We are in uh, a series called Discussions in Matthew, um, where we are tracing some themes that are found in Matthew's Gospel and that are woven throughout the, the entire Gospel. Those include this idea of little faith, not small faith or puny faith, but faith that is not seen all the way to eternity. Uh, what I call short-sightedness, seeing temporal things and not eternal things. And then getting Jesus wrong, uh, which is related to what we'll talk about today. And then the idea of text and tradition, where religious tradition enhances the text expands the text or conflicts with the text. And Jesus teaches about uh, many of those things. Um, there's also the manifestation of the kingdom as seen through the healings and the miracles and talked about in the parables, uh, though many people don't understand those, because he's speaking to the remnant of Israel in, uh, so that those who have eyes to see will see and ears to hear will hear, but the majority will not. So this notion is about those who have faith, their faith will increase. Those who have, more shall be given. Those who have little, even that which they have will be taken away from them. So this week we're going to return to the getting Jesus wrong uh, idea. And uh, I've titled this, Missing the Point. I didn't want to just go again with getting Jesus wrong, so I had to have, a, have another title. So, Missing the Point, right? We're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 16. This is a uh, passage. This is a chapter we could actually spend several weeks on. I don't want to do that because we're following discussions in Matthew. We're not exegeting every aspect of it, right? So it begins with the. Um, you recall what's happening? Jesus has several times gone out into areas. He's surrounded by people, and in, he says to the disciples, uh, go uh, feed these people, and they say, we don't have the, the food to feed them, uh, where are we going to get the money, what do you have, here's what we have, Jesus feeds the 5,000, uh, that's men, there are women and children as well. Uh, then he goes up into an area and sees a Gentile woman, we talked about this, this is the other side of the little faith. Uh, who asked for um, Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus said, It's not right to take that which belongs to the children, for I have come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's not right to give that which is for the children to the little puppies, to the, to the, uh, the pets. It's not a dog in the, in the derogatory sense. Uh, and she says, That's true, Lord. But the little puppies get the scraps that fall from the table, from their master's table. And Jesus says, you have great faith, woman. It will be done according to you, and her daughter is healed. Doesn't seem to be any other reason for Jesus to go but to give this open window for us Gentiles to see that this kingdom is expanding to include us. Even though his focus is on Israel. Then at the end of last week, we saw that another time they're out in an area and uh, the disciples say, you know, let's, let's send these people away. Uh, they're they're going to, you know, they got to get food. You feed them. How are we going to do that? Now, two times he feeds them. Uh, 
when they're done, there's 12 baskets, one for each of the disciples. Israel will be cared for. And then in the second one, they have seven baskets full, right? A complete number, this kind of expanded notion of wholeness. God not only meets our needs, but goes beyond it. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither has it entered into the thought of man the things that God is preparing for those who love him. He who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. That manifestation of the kingdom is there. And who's got a front row seat? The disciples, because they're the one doing the distribution. So now we get to chapter 16. The Pharisees and the Sadducees come up testing Jesus. They ask him to show them a sign from heaven. And he replied to them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather because the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you not know how to discern the, you, you, do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah, and he left them and went away. Fascinating. Pharisees and the Sadducees are the religious leaders. They are the ones that know the scriptures. Remember, it is the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that when Jesus is born and the Magi come to find out where uh, this new king is, they have the answers. But they do nothing about it. That's going to be seen as part of this theme. This is not the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all of them, like saying Baptists or Catholics. It's the leadership that is in control. They are supposed to be shepherds of God's people. They represent the establishment of the temple. They represent the synagogue. And uh, they are the caregivers of God's people But they want a sign. Now what do they think he has been doing? Everywhere he goes, the sick come, the blind come, the lame come, those demonized come, and he is releasing them. Which is what is supposed to happen in the kingdom. And his message is, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What kind of a sign do you want? In other words, they are not looking at the signs. They're simply trying to uh, prove he's not who he says he is. So he says, you guys can handle the temporal signs. You know that if the sky is red at night, it's going to be great. There's an old saying, red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, Sailor, take warning. Now, if you know anything about sailing, and I've had some experience, this is examining whether there's going to be a storm. Okay, So if there's a red sky at night, no problem. Red sky in the morning, it's going to be a problem. right? So the idea is they're capable of taking the temporary circumstances and interpreting them just fine. 
but they cannot see the signs of the time. They cannot see what's going on right in front of their nose, though they are the religious leadership in that sense. And then Jesus leaves them. He says to them that they will... They are seeking a sign because they're adulterous and evil as a generation. He's talking about the current leadership in the temple and the synagogues. And they are more focused on their own uh, benefit temporarily than eternal things of the kingdom. And he says, no sign will be given you except the sign of Jonah. In other words, he gives them a homework assignment. Go read Jonah. He's going to be more specific with his disciples, but he's using parables with those he's keeping at arm's length. So, uh, we're going to stop at that point. If you have any questions or comments, uh, now it's time to do it. Okay, you're, uh, you're asking if that partial blindness that Paul talks about Israel being on, this all goes back to Isaiah. In Isaiah, he said... Uh, the word will come to them, but having eyes they will not see, and having ears they will not hear. So when Jesus is explaining the parables to his disciples, he says, I'm not letting them know so that it will be fulfilled, eyes that don't see, ears that don't heal, hear, lest they turn and I heal them. So it is part of that partial blindness, at least for the time. But that doesn't mean they're, they're without responsibility. Okay? And, and that's a problem of God's people all the time. We see God doing things. Remember Israel in the wilderness. God's doing all kinds of things. And they go, have you brought us out here to kill us? Right? Our children, what about our children? This notion of blindness is always about seeing the temporal world and thinking that's got to be fixed first. Or we won't survive for the eternal. Whereas Jesus puts that on his head in... Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added unto you. It's a reverse. Kingdom first and then the temporal. We have a tendency to go temporal first and then the kingdom. And as we saw with Peter walking on the water, the minute your eyes focus off the eternal onto the temporal, you begin to, to not see the eternal anymore. Any other questions on that one? All right, then I'm going to move on to uh, verses 5 to 12. Uh, this is the passage that I absolutely love. Okay. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. Matthew gives us this because he wants us to know what the disciples' mindset is. They go and... There's going to become a concern for them. Maybe this time we should bring some food. Twice before, we, did, we weren't prepared, and Jesus had to do something. Huh. So, Jesus said to them, Watch out, and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Jesus tells his disciples, after he's come from the Pharisees and Sadducees that are wanting a sign, and he says, watch out for those guys. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now the disciples immediately have to interpret the words of Jesus. So what do they think? 
Well, Matthew's already told us where their mind is. Thomas, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Jesus is rebuking us because we didn't bring any bread. Yep, well, it wasn't my job to do it. Judas should have bought the bread, right? You can just see them. They're all having a discussion trying to figure out what to do about the bread because Jesus is talking about the bread. He didn't say bread. If you're married, you know this. Somebody says something and you go off and they weren't talking about that at all, right? That happens just in regular communications and in this thing we call marriage, right? Uh, but it, it happens here in the spiritual things as well. And so uh, Jesus, aware of this, says to them, you of little faith, short-sighted ones, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread. Do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you of concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then Matthew says they understood, and he was among them, that he did not say beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, they have missed the point. Jesus is explaining them a spiritual thing. Spiritual leadership will often... Be not what you need. All through the prophets, they rail against the shepherds of Israel for not doing what they're supposed to do. A few weeks ago when uh, Rabbi Dowerman was here, he drew on some of those passages to warn those who were coming up in leadership within this congregation to be careful that they shepherd the sheep of God, not their sheep. There are a lot of pastors who think the sheep are theirs. And they're there to help them with their ministry. Jesus' ministry was to his sheep. And those who go into leadership, go into leadership to minister to the sheep, not to shear the sheep. Not to control the sheep. They are God's sheep. You, are, you have a stewardship caring for them. And you have to be careful about that. Now, what we don't have here is we're not told which doctrine they're talking about, and we're not told specifically what this leaven is. In fact, we don't find out even in Mark's gospel what this is. I think Matthew will allude to it later, or talk about it later, but we do find out in Luke's gospel what Jesus is talking about. So I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We'll just be in one verse, so hold your uh, place in Matthew. Under these circumstances, what circumstances is Luke talking about? It's the, uh, the lawyers and the, and the leadership trying to go after Jesus. After so many thousands of people had gathered together, they were stepping on one another. Uh, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now we're going to see 
what this looks like in Matthew 23, and you can read ahead if you want to do that, but let me just give you a notion of it. Part of the problem is that the Pharisees are acting in a way, the ones that Jesus is complaining about. And by the way, we find in Pharisaic writings that some of the Pharisees complained about these various things, which means there were good guy Pharisees and bad guy Pharisees, right? Just like every group. They're good guy Baptists, bad guy Baptists, right? Good guy Catholics, bad guy Catholics, right? That happens all the way through. So the, the, the problem of the leaven was that they would do things to be seen of men. They would enlarge their phylacteries. They would enlarge the tzitzis. They loved to wear robes in front of the people to get the greetings and to get the chief seats. They were doing things to be seen of men. Now, what was Jesus' primary teaching? Don't do your prayers to be seen of men. Go in your closet. Don't do your good works to be seen of men. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Do it before your father who sees in secret. He will reward you openly. There is a humility and a transparency that is important. Jesus told his disciples, and I think everyone who ministers in the Lord's name needs to hear this. He says, when you have done all these things, you are to say, we are unprofitable and unworthy servants who have only done our duty. If I do something significant for the kingdom, I'm not doing it. The Lord is doing it. And for me to take credit is really bad because God will share his glory for, uh, with no one. Somebody can be thankful that we were catalytic to what God is doing in their life, but it's God who's doing it. Believe me, if I'm doing it, it won't last. If he does it, it will be eternal. And that's what Jesus is getting at with his disciples in this context. And he's wanting them to understand that what these people do is they talk a good talk, but they don't walk the walk. And they talk, when they do walk, they are walking to get maximum exposure and benefit, not focused on the care of the sheep. So we're going to stop there and see if you have any questions or thoughts on that one. Was, was the hypocrisy known? I think it was known. First of all, the Pharisees talk about it themselves. Sometimes the critics within a group are trying to make that group more appropriate in that sense. Then there were also criticisms back and forth between the Sadducees and the Pharisees over their doctrines and practice and between the Essenes and the chief priests and their practice. Uh, the, the Essenes believed that the temple was so corrupt, they wouldn't come near it. That's why they were out by the Dead Sea, right? They believed that the high priest was a, a, a fraud. It was just too corrupt. And so you have this back and forth thing. I think people knew that there were inappropriate things going on. To the pure, all things are pure, Right? And there are people who say, they may be corrupt, but I am coming to see God, right? Uh, and I think that's why Jesus was so loved by the people 
uh, and why things like the cleansing of the temple, my father's house should be a house of prayer for all. You made it a den of thieves, made him popular with the people. The problem was they couldn't understand him dying and that, that created a stumbling block for him. Okay, anyone else on that passage? Okay, so a little bit into that. I want to wait till we get to Matthew 23, but let me jump forward. In, in Matthew 23, Jesus explains this by saying, the Pharisees have set themselves in the chair of Moses. They have put themselves in the place of being the spokesman for Moses. Okay, telling you how to do the commandments and what to do. And he says, so do what they say. But don't be like them, for they teach and don't do. They put burdens on people and then they give them no help to carry those burdens. So it's this thing of only doing it to be seen and the idea of uh, putting a bar too high for people to let them grow in grace and in knowledge. Uh, So there's a hypocrisy of, if you only see a Pharisee when he's acting good, What do you think of him, right? So one of the things I've tried to do, I don't know how well I've done it. I've tried to let you guys see my real faith and not pretend to be at a point where I am. My my struggle with Braden's illness and his death, I tried to be as transparent. This struggle that we go through with, with Brenna, I want you to know that I am both a tortured soul and a man of faith. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. I'm not trying to say I'm, I'm here. I know what God has reached for me and I'm trying to get there. But I don't believe I've arrived. Okay? Sometimes I think I've hardly made any progress at all from my early days of faith. And other days I think, God, your grace has brought me way past what I ever thought I could be. So I think that there needs to be Uh, a humility before God and before each other in this thing, lest people think that, you know, at night when the lights go out, I glow in the dark. I don't. And if you don't believe me, ask Linda. She knows I don't glow in the dark, right? So, yeah. Are, Are we running? Yeah, I do think that part of this is that the... And this happens in every religious system. Uh, you know, we famously talk about Catholic guilt, right? Every group's got their term for the uh, burden that is put on you, the almost superstitious burden that's put on you, that if you don't do that, Jesus won't love you and you'll, you, you know, you're in trouble. And that kind of thing just weighs people down. Jesus said, if you're weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Every once in a while, you have to remember that you're only getting into the kingdom by the grace of God. And that in some sense, it is the fact that you don't have a chance of getting there on your own is why you've got the free ticket. Right? You can't earn it yourself. And the interesting thing is that the things that we do for God, we will be rewarded, which means he will be a debtor to no man in that sense. So I do think that that's a big part of this. All right, ready to go on?
Yep. Okay. So we're going to pick it up at uh, 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 13 to 20. And boy, I don't know if I'm going to make it through. I want to try to make it through. So uh, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say that you are Peter, and on this rock, a little play on words there, I will build my church, my ecclesia, my gathering, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, this is a passage that we could go into forever. And I, I'm not going to do it now. We'll do it at another time. I want to keep the flow of Matthew going for that purpose. So, when they get there, Jesus asks them who people think he is. And people don't know. They're, they kind of miss it. He's John the Baptist, because Herod was worried about that. Uh, he's Jeremiah, because he sounds like Jeremiah. You know? He, he's, he's Elijah, he's one of the prophets, right? Uh, maybe he's that prophet that's supposed to come from Deuteronomy 18. So Jesus says, well, who do you think I am? And Peter, speaking for the group in this sense, says, uh, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, you're blessed because you didn't get this naturally. This came to you from my Father. Jesus will say to his disciples, no one can come to me unless the Spirit, Spirit draws him. And the idea here is that they are being able to see, even though they miss it a lot, they're able to see who he is. And he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. I'm building my ecclesia in this context. And whatever you bind or loose shall have been loosed and bound in heaven. Now, I want you to understand that from a Hebraic perspective. For the Jews, those who bind and those who loose are interpreting the commandments of God. They are establishing the, the halakha, the, the way of doing things. And in effect, what's being said is, I am placing you in my ecclesia, in the seat of Moses. You will explain how to live this gospel of the new covenant out with the people. So, uh, that, that's really important. This ecclesia, this gathering, these ones called out, will uh, be mine... And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, gates of Hades is the place of death. Jesus is moving towards focusing them 
not on this world, but on resurrection as the entrance into the kingdom to come. And at this point, Peter's doing really great. But then, he tells Peter in chapter two, in verse 21, he tells the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. So Jesus is now opening up how this entrance to the kingdom will be. And we see from the text, it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this will never happen to you. So Peter, who's already been revealed to who it is, the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees has become the leaven of the disciples. I know God better than you do, and I know God well enough to even tell Jesus what to do. Right? Pulls him aside. That's not going to happen to you. You're not going to die. Are you kidding? You raise the dead. You feed the multitudes. You heal the sick. That's not going to happen to you. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. So what's going on? Here's what, here's what uh, uh, Jesus is saying. You're, you've become my adversary now. You are a Satan to me. And you are a stumbling block to me. Because what you want interferes with what I'm here to do. Wow. We do that with each other a lot. When we get short-sighted and we figured out how God's going to do it. And then we're upset with him because it didn't happen the way we want it to happen. And we're upset with each other and we're telling each other how, how, what God's doing in their life. We need to be a little careful with that. So what's the attitude? And that's the last verses. And I want to end with those and then if you have some questions we'll look at those. Then Jesus said to his disciples, here's the key. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. All of that requires that you are thinking about eternal things. Because we try to make the most of this life, not the kingdom to come. Then he says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will repay every man according to his deeds. I want you to catch this. Jesus has now told them, I'm going to die and rise again. And when I come into my glory, I'm going to provide all the benefit that we've said. In other words, this isn't where it's happening, folks. You're in this world, but you're not of this world. You're going to be of the kingdom, and you want to live your life of the kingdom, because we're in preparation for that. And then he says a really bizarre statement. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man. Coming in his kingdom. Now I think that verse has two meanings. 
One of those meanings is what Matthew's about to explain to us. That in a very short time, three of the disciples, some standing here, three of the disciples will see Jesus transformed as he will be in the second coming. Because the kingdom of God isn't about time. It's there already. But the other meaning is, among the believers, there will be some who will not die, but will be changed at His coming. And Paul tells us that in in Thessalonians. We shall not all sleep, right? But we shall all be changed. When the Lord returns, the dead in Christ shall rise, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught, changed, and caught up with them. And so we will ever be with the Lord. And so in this context, Jesus has taken now and then and merged them together. And that's what eternal faith does. It sees us in the kingdom, the kingdom of God is among us, and not yet at the same time. Now, trying to do that and not get blinded by the temporal things is the struggle of faith. And that is why we walk by faith and not by sight. If we walk by sight, we're going to be confused and we're going to be stumbling blocks to each other. If we walk by faith with eternal perspective, we will bring each other hope and assurance and we will endure with patience as the Lord has required. So we see the problem of being blinded uh, by this life. By survival and misunderstanding, including religious hypocrisy of leaders, which causes the word to be hindered in our life. The parable of the sower echoes this chapter. The cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches, like thorn bushes, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. We must fight this in our own lives because we have been called into the kingdom. We must seek first the kingdom of God, knowing that our Father will take care of those temporal things. All right, questions on this last part. I had to rush that all together because I was out of time. And that saved me from having to explain the, you are the rock. We running? Okay, so the issue is, why did the people think all these prophets are who Jesus is? Um, God had said, I will raise up a prophet like you, Moses, and the people will listen to him. So they have this idea of a prophet. They also know that Elijah is supposed to come, and they're not sure what that means. They don't know if Elijah is supposed to come literally back, or someone in the spirit of Elijah is supposed to come back. And so there are all kinds of thoughts. If you go through Christian theology, the two witnesses at the end, people say, oh, it's Enoch because he didn't die, and Elijah because he didn't die, because it's appointed unto man once to die. Which is a great verse, except Paul says, we will not all die. Right? So it won't be appointed to those believers at the end to do it. So I think what was going on, and then you have the added problem of Herod thinking that John the Baptist is back, that, that people are hearing rumors and stories and thoughts. There are apocalyptic suggestions, but there's always pop theology going on. And I think that's a lot of what that was. And so the issue was, where do we get it straight? We get it straight when God has revealed it, right? And that's why Jesus said, you're blessed, Simon. 
By the way, I wanted to talk about that name. I had a pastor once who, who was big on Greek, and he said his name is Peter, which is a rock, but it's a little rock, so he's a little rocky. And he's Bar-Jonah, son of John. So Peter's name would have been Rocky Johnson. Okay. So, there you go. I said it as a joke. Uh, he, I don't, well, I think he was joking. Is probably bizarre language to them. But it, it is that, you know, that cross being that stake uh, that Jesus carried, right? The idea is that you have to be, in a sense, deny this life to yourself, taking up a symbol of death, to self, which is entrance to resurrection, right? So there's a lot tied into, into all of that, but the idea of self-denial or saying no to self is to say, I'm not going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to live the way God tells me to live. Uh, that, that's even to the point of being martyred, right? So that's part of that. Yeah.